You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. For those who are able to remain standing, um, please do so and turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14, and we'll read through verse 23. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For, he is, for often he falls into the fire and into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he, Jesus, said to them, because your little faith, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move here and to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 22, and as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Family, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. As we have just read, we are continuing now in our study of the gospel of Matthew and we come again to chapter 17 in this great history of redemption. Uh, Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, have now come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They've come off that great and holy mountain uh, from where Jesus' power and sufficiency was put on full display the Mount of Transfiguration was this unique moment of self-disclosure where just for a brief moment, the ordinary veil of Jesus' humanity was removed or moved aside and the brilliance of his glory and power were on full display. Not only was it a unique moment of brilliant glory, but it was also a, a clarifying moment of Christ's sufficient mediation not only did Christ illuminate with holiness and glory, but the moment also communicated to us that all of the law represented in Moses and all of the prophets represented in Elijah were all pointing to this Christ, Jesus Christ. It's as if in that moment we are to see that all of the old covenant was a, a shadow, but the substance belongs to Jesus Christ. You'll remember after the disciples lift their heads up, Moses is gone, Elijah is gone, and Jesus is standing there alone. 
And so after this mountaintop experience, this quite literal mountaintop experience, Jesus and his disciples, the three, are coming down from the mountain, and as they descend to the base of the mountain, they are met with chaos and despair. As another writes, quote, at the top of the mountain, Jesus had shone and glowed, and now at the foot of the mountain, Jesus moans and groans. Well, as we have just read, a desperate father, a desperate father, and how could he not be desperate? He comes to Christ with his son who is plagued with epileptic seizures. Literally in the Greek, he is moonstruck. He's out of his mind. And these seizures we come to find out are a cause, some sort of cause of demonic possession or activity. And he, the father of this boy, begs, he gets on his knees and he begs the Lord to heal his son. And he shares with the Lord that the nine disciples who did not accompany Jesus on the top of the mountain, these nine disciples tried to exercise this demon. They tried to help the boy, but they were not able. And Jesus, we're not surprised, heals the young boy. He's filled with compassion and mercy, of course, and he heals the young boy, but this really isn't what this story is about. It's a unique moment in the Gospel of Matthew as we've been moving through this narrative. This narrative is not about the healing or the exorcism of demons, nor is this moment about the pleading of a desperate father or, or even the compassion of Christ to heal the hurting. All of these things are a part of the story for sure. But the main teaching in this section, listen, is about the inability of the disciples to carry forward the ministry of Christ. That's what this section is about. It's about the inability of Christ's followers to carry forward Christ's own ministry. And so the questions are, are, are sort of surrounding this text are, why were the disciples unable to help this poor boy? What is at the center of their lack of power? And what can we learn from this as we seek as Christ's followers to carry forward the ministry of Christ? What can we learn from this? Well, these are some questions I want to get at this, this morning. Under these three headings, if you're a note taker, a frustrated healer is point one. Point two there is a lesson in Christian ministry. That's really the bulk of this sermon, a lesson in Christian ministry. And then finally, uh, the final point is the final mountain. So a frustrated healer, a lesson in Christian ministry, and the final mountain. First, a frustrated healer. This is not hard to see. Look at verse 14 and following again. And when they, that is Jesus and the three disciples, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. So again, we're met at the base of the mountain. We're met by a desperate father 
who has a son plagued and harassed by a demon. Apparently, this demon causes convulsing seizures and even causes suicidal inclinations as it tries to get him to toss himself into the fire and into the water to to release him of the torment and the pain. This is just a terrible and chaotic situation for this young boy, and it appears that nobody can help him. And of course, as we read this, I don't know if, if, if you hear the skeptic in the modern world in the back of your mind, in our more sophisticated world, we can read things like this about demons and these sorts of activities, and perhaps we'll write it off as first century primitive descriptions of what we now know are more closely aligned with clinical and biological diagnoses. Clearly, this young boy is plagued by some mental pathology and he needs medication, not exorcism. Well, you should know that the New Testament does not have, or does have rather, categories for biological ailments that are explained not in terms of spiritual or demonic oppression, but in terms of natural fallenness, physical ailment. In other words, not every ailment is healed, that he is healed by Christ is understood to be caused by some sort of spiritual oppression. However, Christ does engage the unseen realm of principalities and powers who have and do harass human beings. And that's what we have in this moment. We do have physiological ailment. The symptoms are epilepsy, seizures, But the cause is this young man is tormented. Something is coming at him. Something is moving him. And it's causing real chaos and sickness in his life. And then again, as we mentioned, to make matters worse, we find out that while Jesus and the other three disciples were up on the mountain, the nine other disciples left behind could not help him, could not exercise the demon. They came up short And so Jesus, in a moment of exasperation, responds to their inability in verse 17 and following. Jesus says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. You'll remember when Moses came down off of his mountain. Remember this in the Exodus. Moses came, comes off of Mount Sinai. After he had re- received the Ten Commandments from the Lord, he was met at the base of his mountain. He was met with the unbelief of God's people. And like Moses, Jesus comes down from his mountain and is also met with the unbelief of his people. In fact, when Jesus says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? He's quoting Moses directly from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And like Moses, when Moses comes off of his mountain, when Jesus comes off of his mountain and is met with unbelief, Jesus is frustrated at what he sees. And what he comes to find, 
Certainly in his humanity, Jesus experienced this kind of exasperation and frustration. However, listen, unlike Moses, Jesus' anger or frustration never deteriorated into sin. Jesus did get angry, but he never sinned. That said, as we, as we read this, and as I made some introductory remarks earlier, this feels like an unusual experience with Jesus. He does heal the boy. That's not unusual. He heals everyone who comes to him seeking mercy. That's not unusual. What is unusual is the frustration or the exasperation Usually when Jesus is met with chaos and, and fear and, and these kinds of things, Jesus is just calm. But here in this unusual moment, Jesus is not calm. As I said, he's exasperated. So why this reaction in this moment? Why is Jesus so uncomfortable? Jesus is a healer, yes, but he's a frustrated healer and he laments. That's what this is. It's a lament to God. How long am I to be with this generation? And so the question is, why? What's going on in this moment that has moved Jesus to this point? Well, this leads us now to our second movement in the text. We are met first with a frustrated healer, and now we get the, to the sort of the meat and potatoes of this text, a lesson in Christian ministry. And really, we get to the heart of Jesus's frustration. Look at verse 19. Then Jesus came, or rather, then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, why could we not cast it out? And he, Jesus, said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So why the frustration from Jesus at the inability of his disciples? Here's why. His leaders had failed to carry forward his ministry to the hurting. The disciples neglected to bring this boy before the Lord in faith. But instead, they acted on their own strength and therefore, they were powerless to help. And the symptoms got worse And I see in this moment a remarkable lesson for all of us, but particularly those in Christian leadership and ministry. Because just because we've seen God move in powerful ways through our ministries does not mean for a moment that this movement of God was because of our ministries. In other words, true healing, true deliverance, true help always comes from the hand of the Lord. And if we think, if ministers of the gospel, Christians in general, but ministers in particular, if we think this thing is automatic or formulaic, that we are the perpetual anointed of the Lord and it's just going to work, 
then actual help for those who are in actual need will not come. And in the place of true healing, all that is left is emotional manipulation. In the place of true healing and true help, all that is left is emotional manipulation. And I am convinced that in the church today, there is more emotional manipulation going on than true power and help for God's people. Imagine for a moment the religious trauma that this boy endured. As nine disciples tried over and over and over again to exercise this demon. I don't know if you've met people that have gone through this kind of trauma. They went to a faith healer or a church that promised healing and, and this, this anointed apostle was gonna come and do the healing and do the preaching and this person has been in ailment their whole lives and they come with their hopes filled only to find their hopes dashed. But in that moment, they felt something. What was it? I'll tell you exactly what it was. Emotional manipulation. Hopes filled, then hopes dashed. Over and over and over again, this poor boy felt. No wonder Jesus cries out, Oh, foolish, faithless, and twisted generation. Why is Jesus exasperated? He sees this father and this boy bent over in despair. Here's a lesson in Christian leadership. Here's a big lesson in Christian leadership. When we try to operate as ministers of the gospel in our own strength, not only do people not get the help that they need, but we put them in real danger. This is serious business. So why couldn't they cast the demon out? Because there wasn't real, fervent dependence upon the Lord in prayer. Now you'll notice if you have an ESV, you'll notice there's no verse 21 in chapter 17. Why is that? Well, the ESV found that in their translation efforts that verse 21 didn't exist in the old, oldest of manuscripts, but I think they made a mistake because verse 21, or at least it's parallel, exists in Mark's gospel. In verse 21, Jesus goes on to say, this kind cannot be removed without prayer and fasting. So again, why couldn't they cast out the demon? The answer is because there wasn't real fervent dependence upon the Lord in prayer. They thought ministry was automatic, formulaic. And listen, God doesn't do automatic. I don't know if you've noticed this. He doesn't do automatic. I can't tell you how many times I've gone on a walk, the same walk, every single day. And the Lord met me by this tree 
and I had this prayer and I was meditating on this scripture verse and there was a movement of the Lord and I felt convinced that God is true and that I need him and that everything is gonna be okay. And then the next day I go to that tree and I'm meditating on the same verse and I have just the same amount of sort of mind space and nothing, I'm fearful. What happened? Answer, God doesn't do automatic. Here's why. Because I would start to build a little monument by that tree and I would start to associate my spiritual vitality with that walk or that place or even that scripture verse or even that mind space. And every time I would walk there, I would try to just redo it automatically. And what would I do? I would find a God in that place. This is, by the way, a a danger for spaces. Spaces are important. We want to buy a building. Praise the Lord. Yes and amen. We find this with people that want to leave Roots Community Church or have to leave because they're, they're moving. And they're like, no, no, there's no other churches like Roots Community Church. Not true. Just because you've met here, met God here, doesn't mean you can't meet him elsewhere. God doesn't do automatic He doesn't do formulas because we would place our hope in formulas. See, the disciples thought that dinnertime prayers were enough to cast out this demon. Lord Jesus, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Amen, let's eat. This happened before. They cast out demons before. But not this time. Now, please don't misunderstand I'm not saying that the disciples needed to conjure up more emotion. That's not what I mean. What I'm not saying is that the disciples needed to light a bigger candle or work up more sweat to really get this one. That's not what I'm saying, nor is the text saying that. Listen, it wasn't the energy of their faith that was off. It was the object of their faith that was off. They were putting faith in themselves. It worked for us yesterday. Why won't it work for us now? Jesus says, even a mustard seed size faith can remove insurmountable obstacles. Now this is confusing. He just said, He was just exasperated and frustrated because of their little faith. (laughs) You have little faith. And then he says, what you need is mustard side seeds faith. That's tiny. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Mountains move, not because of the strength of your faith, but because of the strength of the object of your faith. Namely, the Lord himself. So if the object of your faith is the Lord, all it takes is a mustard seed. Why? Because the Lord is strong. He's the mountain mover. But if you have little faith or even a lot of faith in yourself, you're not going to move anything. The greatest challenge in Christian ministry, after almost 15 years of doing this, The greatest challenge in Christian ministry, what these disciples are learning, what I'm learning all of the time, the greatest challenge is not Bible interpretation. The greatest challenge is not public speaking. 
I get that all the time. I can't believe you public speak. That's just the most, that is not the hardest thing. You get over that after a few months. The greatest challenge is, is, is not hard counseling appointments. No, the greatest challenge in Christian ministry is keeping professionalism out. Resting in my own abilities. Resting in the automatic. The greatest challenge is not placing hope in yesterday's manna or yesterday's giftings or yesterday's provision. The disciples learned a hard lesson in Christian leadership. There is no effective ministry without fervent, desperate reliance upon the Lord. There is no other way. And by the way, that is true of the Christian life in general. So if you're sitting back and like, sorry for you, ministers of the gospel, that sounds like tough living. This is true for all of us. I, I always say this from the pulpit, be careful what you pray for. Lord, keep me, keep me, keep me, keep me dependent upon you. Oh, mercy, that is a very risky prayer. It's a good one, but he will. He will answer that prayer. And it will invite crisis after crisis after crisis in your life so that you're met with a crossroads all of the time. Do I cling to him even though I don't feel it? Or do I take the whispers of the false prophet and numb? The disciples learned a hard lesson. Ironically, the one in this scene who demonstrates the greatest Christian character is the father of the boy. (laughs) This is another lesson of how the church just messes up, but people still get to Jesus. He comes to Jesus on his knees. That's the right posture. Even after disciple after disciple fail him, even though the church failed him and hurt him, talk about church hurt. I don't know what that looked like, one after the other trying to exercise the demon out of the boy, but imagine the sort of church hurt and trauma, but he keeps going because he knows the source is still good. And he comes in with a posture of prayer and dependence. And listen to this. This is in Mark's gospel. Don't, don't turn there. I'm just going to paraphrase. But in Mark's account of this exchange between the Father and Jesus, Jesus says to the Father, he looks right at him. He says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the Father, from his knees, cries out, Mark says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Finally, an honest prayer. Finally, the religious professionalism is out the door. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus is moved by that kind of prayer. This is the kind of faith that moves Jesus and therefore moves mountains. You want to move mountains, you got to move Jesus. Jesus. 
How do you move Jesus? Honest, desperate pleas for help. That's how you move Jesus, who moves mountains. This is a lesson in Christian ministry in particular, but in Christian living in general. Well, finally, we end our time now as Jesus, for the second time, explicitly announces his impending death and resurrection. Matthew just sort of drops these two verses in this moment. I've entitled this final point, the final mountain. Look, verses, verses 22 and 23. Not a lot to say here. We'll close shortly. Verse 22. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Now this is disorienting. Jesus comes off of the Mount of Transfiguration. He's met by a desperate father because his disciples had failed at casting out this demon. Jesus is exasperated in frustration, casts out the demon, then gives his disciples a lesson in Christian leadership, in faith. And he tells them that they can move mountains. If they have faith like a mustard seed, they can move mountains. And then he tells them he's going to go die. And here we are confronted again with the, the paradox of the gospel, the mystery. Jesus can move mountains and exercise demons, but he can't seem to deliver himself from the hands of those who want to kill him. The one, in other words, who has the power to dispossess so many demons allows himself to be possessed by those who want to throw him into the fire and dash him on the rocks. In other words, the one who walks on water allows himself to be walked all over in humiliation. Why? Why? Because listen, the mountain that he needed to move was the mountain of God's justice and wrath against sin. And this mountain could not be moved by prayer and fasting. Do you remember Jesus would visit another mountain in short order? The Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is found. And Jesus is on this mountain and he is praying his guts out. And what's happening on this mountain? This mountain is not moving. This mountain is not moving despite the fervency of his prayer, despite the honest request from the son to the father, let this cup pass from me and God would not move the mountain. And Jesus is being crushed in anxiety and fear. He's being crushed and he gets up from his moment, his supreme moment of weakness and he goes to the ones who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration who were supposed to pray and what are they doing? sleeping. They're unconscious. On this mountain, they were wide awake. And on this mountain, they're sleeping. 
Jesus is being crushed under this mountain. He's being crushed because he would become he would come under the divine punishment of God. In other words, this mountain would need to fall on Jesus in order for it to move. See, in the gospel, the mountain of God's judgment and wrath falls on the Son. And those who put their faith in him escape unscathed. That's the gospel. There is a mountain that cannot be moved by your efforts, by my efforts, by our fervent prayers, by our religiosity, by our church attendance, by our good deeds, by our clear thinking. There is a mountain that cannot be moved. And the only way to escape the pressure and the weight of this mountain is if you trust, you believe that it fell upon the only begotten son and you trust that Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary absorbed the wrath of God, the punishment of God for your sins and mine and you in desperate faith cling to that truth, that's the only way to escape this mountain. It's the only way it's moved. And so as followers of Christ, I'll end here. As followers of Christ and as ministers of the gospel, may we simply bring people to this Christ. May we put aside all of our Christian professionalism and religious formulas and instead recommit ourselves to placing our faith, however mustard seed-like it is, placing our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God moves mountains. God moves mountains. Desperate pleas for help move God. We believe. Help our unbelief. Let me pray. Father in heaven, what an insightful little portion of this gospel. Lord, we often stare at the disciples in disbelief that they could be so naive and yet Monday morning comes for us and we're doing the same thing. Help us Lord to pray bold prayers. Keep us close to you O God. Don't let us turn this religion into another formula. Keep us on our knees in desperation, in desperate prayer. And Lord, allow us to see in your kind mercy, allow us to see the mountains you're moving, the obstacles you're overcoming for us that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.